Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I had a very special guest. His name is Scott McWilliams. He is the winner of the REIQ Award for Excellence. So he is absolutely outstanding at what he does. Now, we talked about a lot of things. We talk, So Scott's a really interesting character. Um, so he is a big player in the Townsville property market. And he had a lot of insights around Townsville, why it is starting to boom, how much longer he thinks it's going to keep booming for, some really interesting market insights there. We talked about all kinds of stuff. Scott's property, personal property journey of buying and selling somewhere between 20 and 5 and 30 properties, how he's arrived at a certain place of success, the lessons he's learned along the way. We talked about how property investors can sometimes overcapitalize when they're renovating. So there's some really interesting tips there. There's a lot of gold nuggets in this episode. There really, really is. It's a great kind of winding conversation that I got to have with Scott. We covered a lot of ground. And I think that if you are... At any stage of your property investing journey, there's going to be some lessons here because he's done the thing that most people want to do, which is like 10, year, 10 properties in 10 years and you know, gotten to a place where he can live a life of choice, which is what we always talk about on this show, living a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. He's kind of there. He's kind of done it. So he's walked the path and now he's spending his time and his life helping other property investors to find success and avoid failure. And he's doing, doing great work doing that. So this is a really interesting episode. I know you're going to get a lot out of it. So make sure you like, rate, review, share this with a friend, family member, or loved one. But without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it, and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show, I have Scott McWilliams. So Scott McWilliams is the Business Development Manager for Kingsbury Harcourt's Townsville. But not only that, he's actually the recipient... He's an award winner. He's the recipient of the 2021 REIQ Awards for Excellence. So we've got a high caliber property person with us today. Scott, how are you? Good to see you. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Good to see you too. Mate, tell us about the award. What was that like? <laughs> a little surreal, actually. I talked myself out of winning it that day. So I didn't write anything for um, my thank you. And um, yeah, it was just really weird winning it. Um, and it's been nice since like the the response from a lot of agents in town and just people in general has been really positive and it's opened a few doors so it's been good awesome awesome okay i want to kind of dig back into that because now you're the now you're the boss hog of real estate in townsville because <laughs> you're the winner tell us a little bit about who you are what like what do you do what, what business development manager for kingsbury Arcops townsville nobody knows what that is tell us what that no, is no one ever knows what that is when you call and say hey i'm the business development manager and they're like the what I'm like, oh, I'm calling because you might have an investment property and you might want to talk to me about what's best to do with it. So that's pretty much what my job title um, is. I mean, I will call someone and um, or they'll call me and they've got an investment property or they might be looking for an investment property and we'll be able to guide them with where's best, um, what they should do with what they should do with it, um, what they're going to get out of it, what sort of tenant we want to put in it. Um, all those things, really. I mean, okay, it so sort of encompasses you, a lot. Do you primarily, so like, just to kind of get a bit more clarity in there, right? Yeah. So, you, so you live in Townsville, you work in Townsville, you're, the agency you work for is Kingsbury Harcourts, great agency, yep. by the way. We do obviously do a lot of work together. Okay. Um, primarily, are you dealing with um, like tenants? Because I know in the way that we work together, you help a lot of our clients. Um, on the like on the on the from their, with their investment properties on the rental side, like making sure that that's all set up correctly. Is that primarily the kind of stuff you're doing? 
Yeah, so I'm sort of the in-between stage where you've got your investment property and you might not have a tenant in it yet. Or maybe you do and it's with another agency. And I'll be sort of the person that guides it over to Harcourts, um, sets it up for success. And um, at the end of it, when we've got a tenant in it and we're ready to go and that tenant understands where they're paying rent to, then it goes to the property manager. So you're the deal maker, basically. You're the deal maker. You're the guy that gets in between, that, that gets at the deal and says, right, okay, this is how <laughs> we're going to make this work. This is how we're going to maximize our opportunity. Got it. Okay. Yep. That's I like me. that. You should just change it. Business development manager is a bit ambiguous, but deal maker is just like swanning around, just like making it rain, <laughs> just like making the deals happen. Sounds good. Yep. So, um, Scott, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself as an individual. Have you always lived in Townsville? Um, what, like, you know, tell us a little bit about that. What's your background? Are you a property investor yourself? Give us, give us a bit of background. Yeah. So, I haven't always lived in Townsville. Um, I grew up in country New South Wales and at the age of 18, moved to Sydney. I lived there for probably 15 years uh, and I bought a house in Townsville um, that I primarily moved into. Um, however, I was working away um, all but four weeks of the year. So I was calling this sort of like a holiday home. I was up here for four weeks of the year. And after four years, I said, that's it. I've got to move to Townsville permanently. I love the place. Um, so through and through love Townsville. Why? It's the best place I've ever been, and it's the best place I've ever lived. Why? That's your, so. Firstly, whereabouts in whereabouts in country New South Wales do you grow up? Uh, Candos. It's about an hour outside of Mudgee. Got it. Got it. Mm. And claiming that Townsville is the best place you've ever been is pretty big. Because <laughs> like, I, I guess I, me personally, I actually <laughs> really like Townsville. I actually I'm a big fan. Like I've spent a bit of time up there, and every time I jump up the plane, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm into this joint. But I know a lot of people around the country might not share yeah. that view. They might be thinking, Townsville, isn't it bloody, you know, it's back and beyond and it's full of roughnecks and all of that. Why do you like it? What's so good about Townsville? No, I, look, I don't think it's that way. Maybe 20, 30 years ago it was. Um, mm. I think of Townsville now as a mini version of Brisbane or Sydney or Melbourne. Um, it has everything that those cities offer uh, except for the traffic. Uh, I can afford to live five minutes from the beach. Uh, I can get anywhere I want in Townsville within 20 to 30 minutes. Um, like, I just don't have that go, go, go attitude that I had living somewhere else, but I don't miss anything from having moved here. I mean, I've got everything that I could need. If I want to go overseas pre-COVID, um, we would just drive three and a half hours north to Cairns and get on a plane and be in Singapore five hours later. So, um, I mean, everything that you need is here. It's a good place. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because a lot of people don't realize it's, I think it's the 12th largest city in Australia, I think. Yeah. yeah 12th a lot, a lot 13th. Of, it's one of those. Yeah. It's yeah, big. yeah. Yeah. It's big. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't realize that it's, it's big. <laughs> like it's like, it's, it's actually really big. And yeah. a lot of people don't realize that. They don't understand not only the economic diversity. And I think it kind of probably got a bit of a bad rap from people because obviously, you know, 10 or whatever it was years ago, it finished its boom and it sort of went through a bit of a, yeah. a period of kind of stagnation in terms of property, kind of a bit of stagnation and decline. And I know a lot of people who probably bought in at the kind of peak of that kind of boom, probably hurting a little bit. Um, that happened in quite a few places in Queensland, but that kind of happens no matter where you buy at the top of the boom. So do you mm. think that that's kind of um, given it a bit a bit of a worse reputation than it should have because a lot of people are hurt and like properties it's, yeah for Australians like properties their biggest wealth creation tool and all that stuff a lot of people yeah. are probably hurting a bit there what are your thoughts there yeah I think 
you're on something there. I mean, property and wealth and money, they're all, you know, probably our biggest stress. So um, when that boom ended, um, and I was here for the tail end of that, um, things were really bad. Um, everyone in town was just a little down, dull, hating on the place. Um, they had a hangover. You know, <laughs> they had a hangover. They had a hangover. Yeah, it they, was kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, it had been like, whoa, like been roaring, everyone's off their heads, basically just loving life, and then there was like a 10-year hangover. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it took a while for it's like that changeover happening in where everyone that wanted to get out has been able to get out. All the people seeing like a renewed sort of interest in the place are getting in. It's fresh. It's lively. Um, everything has changed just in the last two years. Yeah, interesting. What are what are some of the? I kind of want to. There's a lot of stuff I want to dig into, but we've gone on an interesting kind of tangent here. So we're talking about digging into Townsville because you, you love Townsville. I, I do. Love Townsville. I love talking about it. So yeah, ask yeah. Away. why? Um, you know why? What's what's Townsville got going for it? Because a lot of people still don't realize. Like it's first. Actually, sorry. Let me step back from that a little bit. How, what have you seen changing in the property market in Townsville over the last? Let's say. Let's say two years, two or three years. Like, how have you seen the market changing? Like, a lot of people are start, starting to say, "Oh, Townsville could be the next hotspot." Is it already like booming? Is it not booming? What are your give us some optics on that as a as a man on the ground? Ah, okay. Well, this one's interesting. I mean, three years ago, Townsville was who knows? Like, we didn't know if we were going to come back up in the property market. We didn't know if we were sitting at the bottom for the next 10, 15 years. Everyone was kind of like, "Do I sell now? Do I just?" take a hit do i ask my bank if i can get out of my loan mm. um you know every second property we were selling was with a special condition around like the bank just being able to release the mortgage even um and no one was ever excited when you say hey i got an offer on your property and we're going to get a contract they're like ah, okay cool like there was just no excitement about selling anyone that was buying was a bit like hey we got a decent price but it could never go anywhere um real estate was really plain really boring up here i think like there's a really good way of saying it there was no excitement about it whatsoever rents were just so low we were practically begging people to rent property um you know if someone would be booking in to view that one unit <laughs> we'd run down there beg them to apply we'd almost grab them by the neck and be like you know you're gonna have to complete an application while you're here um i need something to take to this landlord it was just getting to the point where it was really really difficult um and then I would say two years ago, things really started to change. And I would say that that really happened not long after the 2019 floods. Mm. That took like a thousand properties out of the rental market uh, immediately. So when you had, I think we have on a typical year for the last 10 years before that, we had about 1600 properties on realestate.com or domain at one point. Um, and that would be the general amount of properties for rent. Immediately, that went down to 600, um, like, in a week. Uh, and then two weeks later, that was at almost zero, like 100 properties. We were having people living long-term in all the hotels. Those hotels had been, you know, not really doing good business for a while. Um, you know, a lot of people moved to town to fix property. Um, there were insurance companies opening up offices in the city, um, and those city offices had sat vacant for quite a long time as well. Um, so there was just a general buzz happening, and you know, so can I just clarify? Yeah, so can I just clarify? Basically, because of the flood damage, that actually ended up being an economic catalyst, as in, like, 
Absolutely. That was the one thing that our market came back from. I think if we didn't flood, we would not be in a position that we're in now. That's really fascinating because that's very contrarian because most people are like, interestingly, did a study recently and worked out that... um, that floods don't actually affect property prices. Like if you look at it, if you look at it on a macro, the flood they actually they actually don't, which is a little bit counterintuitive. But then mm. you're also saying that there's actually a second effect, second order effect that most people don't realize in the fact that because it stimulates construction and because insurance brokers, uh, insurance people need to open up offices there and all this other kind of stuff, money actually starts flooding in. It's not even just a mm. repair and recovery kind of thing. There's actually an, an inadvertent stimulus. That's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like the insurers really did a good job. They made a deal to buy every car locally um and there were thousands of cars written off like personally i had two gone i had four properties gone in that flood um i know what people went through so i'm not saying this um in a way like hey these floods are really great i know the heartache everyone went through and you know it was really really tough for me as well and um you know i'm not going to deny that it was a really tough period for townsville as well but i think if you asked anyone who went through that flood two years three years later like me now will say, hey, it was pretty good for the town. Yeah, it was a little distressing at the time for us that went through it. But look where we've come. Um, you know, it worked out really terrific for us that that happened. And then just as everything was back on track and the market may have settled back into that sort of dull um, period that it was in, because at that time people were like, oh, I don't really want to buy in a flooded area. Mm. Prices were starting to move in the other areas like Kerwin. But... Um, then COVID happened. And I guess like everyone in Australia knows, um, Queensland shut the border. (laughs) Mm. Um, And, you know, at the time that hurt, I couldn't see my family. There were people separated. It was really bad as well. But also COVID didn't really affect Townsville. I think we had two weeks through that whole period where we had to wear masks. Um, And I think um, online I read the flight path from Brisbane to Townsville was the busiest domestic flight path for the whole time of the pandemic. Um, we had tourists everywhere. This town was full. You couldn't get a hotel room. You couldn't walk down the street without bumping into 10 people's shoulders. It's never been like that. So flood COVID was the perfect storm for Townsville. Yeah, interesting. What about that's 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 really that is really interesting and really insightful actually. Um what about all of the other projects and stuff going on? Because I know that like part of the stigma that Townsville has got is it like it was oh it's resources, it's all resources, all mining, yeah. and then no one wants to buy in a mining town, right? But there seem like I mean I know differently, but what's from what your what's your view on? Um, there's loads of projects. There's like there revitalization is. projects of the city. There's like university stuff going on, stadiums, mm. a brand new hospital. Uh, we've got. The Marta Hospital is doing a big expansion. We've got a brand new hospital being built in the city that's just um, that broke ground a couple of weeks ago. We've got the big Hive project, um, which is uh, like billions, I think, um, down on the Strand. Uh, the old rail yards are going to be redeveloped by Chris Morris, who owns the Ville uh, Casino. He's building a new hotel next to that as well. Uh, we've got the new stadium was finished the week COVID hit. We had Elton John and then everything shut down. So really that stadium, um, you know, I saw yesterday they're starting to hire security guards and things for all the events this year. So um, we'll finally take advantage of that stadium and acts that will come here finally. And I think we've got a world-class stadium now. Um, the nickel refinery opened back up. Say what you will about Clive Palmer. Not a lot of people like him, um, but he opened the nickel refinery back up and it's doing good business. Um, 
that sort of reinvigorated the port. We had the port dug out so that larger ships can come. Yep. The cruise ships finally come here. So we've got 15 or 20 of those per year docking in Townsville now. Um, we've got the, the army, the RAF, um, <laughs> you name it. I mean, we've got yeah. one of the biggest hospitals in Australia. Um, the university is fantastic and they're always doing work. Um, okay. know, they really drive our economy. Okay. So, so basically a combination of, of floods, catalyst, then COVID boost, plus tons of money floating around basically and loads of yeah, opportunity. Yeah. Like Has- all that money that the government said, hey, we're going to spend now to reinvigorate the economy, like that's really worked for us. Um, you know, it's, it's working. So what's happened into the property market in Townsville? Like, is it already, is it already booming or is it like just starting to boom or is it, um, or is it already too late? If someone hasn't already bought in Townsville, is it, is it already too late? Uh, no, I wouldn't say it's too late. I mean, um, I'm still buying, so um, I'm selling as well. So, I mean, the market's a bit of a weird place at the moment. There's some particular types of property which have shot through the roof. There's some types of property that aren't moving at all. Um, you know, that's property what, okay, that's interesting. with what, strata. Yeah, yeah. T- tell me what's moving and what's not moving. Yeah, so um, houses, duplexes, multi-unit complexes that don't have strata on them, uh, all those properties are moving. Um, and they're at the start of the boom. There's probably, you know, there's a long way to go. If we look at history, um, mm. you know, our booms usually last for about seven years. Yeah. We're like a year and a half into that. Yeah. So um, there's a long way to go in Townsville. Uh, the things that aren't moving are units with strata, and that's... Um, a big cause of that is just how expensive insurance is up here. Yeah. Uh, and that's been the downside of the flood. Yeah, got it. Got it. Okay, interesting. That's some that's some pretty that has some pretty interesting um insights there. So how I'm interested, I want to circle back to this award that you won, that now that you're the king of the north, basically. How is that <laughs> how is how has that changed? Like how is it you you mentioned that like you you like you the respect and stuff has changed from people around town. Tell me a little bit about that. Um I mean, you know, we do a lot of work with um, with you guys, um, and you know, my team needs to call sales agents from every single office in Townsville all day, every day, to book appointments to go look at these properties. So we look at properties on behalf of investors um, and buyers agents, um, you know, investors that have just contacted us direct. So. Um, and I don't think that there's another agent in town that's doing this. It's just us, as far as I'm aware. Um, and prior to winning the award, there was a lot of pushback. Um, you know, why do you need to come through our sale properties? Why is your opinion going to matter to the person that's going to buy it? Mm, um, interesting. And that's changed a little bit. Well, I'd say a lot since the award. Um, it's more, hey, when are you coming through our property? Hey, has anyone called you about our property? Um, I'll bump into an agent and they'll be like, hey, I've got a property. Do you want to talk to some of the guys that, you know, you're in touch with? So it's a little bit different. Yeah, interesting. That is really, really interesting. Yeah, because what you're what you're doing is quite unique in the fact hmm. that you're you are being that deal maker and actually going and, and making it happen. So that's that's really awesome. Um, you've obviously dealt with a lot of property investors over over your time, um, generally in the industry and obviously in, in Townsville. What are some of the what are some of the common mistakes you see people make when they're when they're buying an investment property? Uh, um, do not buy an investment property to renovate it and put things like stone countertops and things in it. Like, unless you're in a certain price point, <laughs> you're not getting more rent. Just leave the laminate bench top there. I mean, um, there's a lot of different mistakes people make. I mean, 
there's lots of little ones. I could go on and on forever and ever and point out just little things, but um, macro. Let's let's zoom out and go macro. Is it is it is it like trying to add value or is it squabbling too much over the price and not like what like where do you where do you see where do you kind of see the big miss hits? Uh, price is one. Um, you know, we had one. I would say like two days ago, I had one where a lady um, had called. I'd given her a really you know, really accurate rental appraisal. And um, like, I'll be really specific. It was a three-bed home in Kerwin. I appraised it for $400, $420 per week. Um, and I was on the money, you know, like every person I'd spoke to, everything I looked at on the computer said it was somewhere between like 390 and 410 And I always push it. Our Harcourts were always a little bit higher. Um, so we really are driving that price high. Um, and then that lady came back to me yesterday and said, another agency has just told me 450 to $480 per week. Mm. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Like th that is a four bed, two bath home with a study with maybe a pool. Um, like you're not going to get that. And so I ran some reports, I sent them through and, uh, I gave her a call and I'm like, you're just making a terrible mistake. Cause I'll tell you what's happening. We have 20% of the market share just in our one office. So there's other 52 agents kind of fighting for the rest of it. And to do that now, they're just increasing their appraisals to ridiculous prices. Mm. Uh, and then what they'll do, they'll leave it on the market for 11, 14 days, and then they'll drop the price all the way down to my appraisal. But she'll be with an agent that lied to her and she'll have wasted two weeks vacancy where she would have rented it within nine days um, and had a tenant in there if she was with our agency or any agency for that fact that gave her the same appraisal that we did. This is a really good thing that we, this is a cool, that's a cool angle, right? Because um, this would apply in any market anywhere, right? How, Correct. how can, this is not just like for you and Townsville and whatever, if an investor is trying to work out what property manager to go with, and if they're all kind of quoting different, pro how do they know who to believe? Like, how can they kind of cut through the noise? Because I've seen it happen in, you know, Western Australia. I've seen the same thing happen in South Australia. I've seen the same thing. It happens all over the place. So yeah, it does. Um, and and you know, you see, you do see agencies and stuff where they're like so desperate for a listing, and so they mm -hmm. they pump up the they pump up the price. But also, you get really good agents who are able to get a higher price. So they might also quote a higher price. So you sort of can't have this heuristic of like, oh, you know, go for the second highest one because the highest one's probably lying or whatever. Like, cause sometimes yeah. the highest one is correct. How do people know? Like if they, if they're trying to find the right property manager for them, how do they know if it's real or bullshit? Yeah. So I go with evidence. Um, I'll run a comparative market analysis on everything that's rented within a kilometer of that person's home in the last six months. And I won't filter a single thing out of it unless it's something that's not got a pool and I take the pool. Um, everything else I leave in there and um, I'll make some notes line by line, like which ones we rented, which ones another agent rented. That'll have the days on market on there. And it'll also tell you what price they originally started advertising at and what price they actually dropped it to and rented it at during that time. So it's really, really good tool. So even if someone says, hey, I can get you a higher price, Okay, well, show me that report where another agency has actually got a higher price um, because every single rental that's, um, that's rented is recorded somewhere. Mm. So you can see what price that rental got. Um, so evidence, market yeah. analysis, and ask for the reports off domain and realestate.com because 
I send them every month. We get a report, tells me what my average days on market were, what our market share is, how many properties we rented compared to somebody else, what our prices were like compared to other people. Um, I know for a fact that I'm the only one in town out of 53 rental agencies that sends that report and is happy to share it with anyone. How many, you said you guys have got 20% market share. How many rental properties have you guys got in your portfolio? Um, somewhere around the 2,000. Crikey. Yeah. Crikey. Been good. Yeah. And <laughs> nice. the rent rolls are shrinking in Townsville dramatically for everyone else. So that's, you know, the, there is a fight amongst agents because when the market is good and there's so many people moving here, um, you know, we're removing the tenants from properties, we're selling them. And we're selling a lot of what was on our rent roll, but we're accumulating a lot of new stuff because we're good at what we do. Mm. Um, so we're replenishing it. Whereas I don't think, and I know for a fact, other agents aren't. Yeah, it's an interesting thing you touch on there because broadly speaking, like the same thing's happening in a lot of places. Like I know that in Sydney, for example, one of the big problems is that during during uh, the, re- the recent price boom in Sydney, which I've been saying for ages is going to collapse and Guess what? Starting to collapse. So there you go. But there was a there was the boom. There was the boom in Sydney, and people start a lot of um a lot of investors who owned properties in Sydney sold their properties in Sydney because they were like Yahoo prices are high. Happy days, let's go. They sold them, but they sold them to homeowners because the homeowners because of low interest rates and stuff. There's a bit greater homeowner affordability. So now there's actually less rental properties on the market, and mm-hmm. you know nationally vacancy rates are already at crisis levels. So. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, where are people going to go? Like, uh, It beats me. You know, we've got people homeless everywhere in Townsville. People are leaving town, um, you know, if they can't accept the rent increases, which, you know, I encourage landlords not to be too friendly with their rent increases. Like, you know, you're paying a bill. Uh, if you are giving a lower than market value rent increase to your tenant, you're essentially gifting them that cash. If you don't need that money, yeah, take it yeah. and gift it to your family. Yeah, sure, but there's also like a compassionate piece to being a good to being a good landlord as well, right? So, Correct. like you don't You've got to strike a balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not all tenant. about scraping. It's not about banging the drum and shaking every penny out of the me. Me personally, my preference is to have a good tenant who wants to stay long term. And if the economics work out for me, then I'm not too too worried about it because typically it's like, well, you know, unless there's a change in the the operating expenses of the property. It was a good deal then. It's probably still a good deal. I would rather have someone who yep. stays and takes care of the place and stuff like that rather than shaking it out. Because every time you change tenants as well, you've got to like relist, relist. You have a vacancy period. You've got the listing costs, marketing costs. Correct. You've got all, the, yeah. Yeah, you've got all these kind of things you've got to take into consideration. So sometimes like cranking it up by another 50 bucks, if you then weigh up the actual transition costs, can end yep. up being, you know, Rob and Peter to pay Paul basically. Correct. Yeah. But we've had a fairly steady increase over the last like two years. So, I would say, you know, most of the rent increases have been pretty affordable Um, and they're not huge increases where someone was under market value for a decade and it sold to a new owner and then (laughs) they're like, what, how do we get this higher? And it's like a hundred dollars that you need to go up. That's where we run into problems. But um, generally most tenants are taking it. They know that there's nowhere else that they can go and get something comparable. They Mm -hmm. like the property. It's not a huge amount. They know they were getting a really good um, they were on a good wicket for the last 10 years while the market was so low. Um, so they were squirreling money away then. And, you know, now's the time where they're just, they're paying rent comparative to other places in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So for most tenants here, it's okay. There's, of course, tenants that just can no longer afford to live in the properties they're in. And that's because um, 
most of the time it's because the market value um, was a lot higher than what the rent was for the last decade mm. and they've never, ever considered that they might need to pay more. Yeah, yeah. Also, wages aren't increasing at the same, pro- at the same rate as rental prices. Right? So, just generally speaking, not even just in Townsville, there's a, there is rental affordability issues and wage yeah. discrepancies and there's a few kind of uh, socioeconomic factors going on there that are across, across the across the whole across the whole paddock um yep. tell me a little bit about your personal property journey when did you start getting into property uh so my goal was to own my own home first by 30 which i did i built a house in sydney um so at 30 so i didn't own a property till i was 30 years old um it seemed unattainable living in sydney to be honest uh, mm. it was tough so we built a home um in a new suburb uh sold it so we built that 2012, sold that in 2015. Good, uh, good time. Good, good, time good amount get, of money. Yeah, good time to get in, get in and out of the market. Those two dates. Oh, it was good. Uh, I mean, like the money that we took out of that property was amazing. Also, <laughs> um, I think that suburb sunk uh, two years ago or something, and there's all sorts of issues with it now. So I'm so glad we got out, um, and that allowed us then to sort of spend the money in Townsville where we wanted to spend it. And you got a lot more for your money up here. Uh, so, you know, we bought townhouse, we bought a couple of houses, we did some renos, we sold a few, we kept a few, we've put some tenants in. Uh, we recently built, um, bought a unit complex. Um, we've built uh, a unit under the house I live in. That's rented. That's paying my mortgage. Um, I mean, so right now I think I've got 11 um, properties, one of them I live in, um, and I've probably, I've had a couple more in Sydney in the time I was working down there. We just did a few quick flips um, and got out of those around 2017, just as the market was sort of dropping there again. Mm. So timing was always pretty good. Um, nice. And that's where I'm at now. So you've got your another. PPR, so you got your PPR plus, plus 10 in your portfolio. Correct. That's that that goal of having 10, 10 investment properties is kind of like it's a pretty common goal, right? So I know you said you just said yeah. you're looking for another one and you obviously want to keep going and stuff like that. But so yeah. many people out there, they're like, I'm like, what's the goal? And they're like, 10 properties in 10 years and $100,000 passive income. It's the classic. It's the classic oh, dream. Well, right? I mean, it's 10 years. I mean, I'm 41. So yeah, you've done it. Um, You've I walked did it the in path. 10 years. Are you financially guess, free? Yeah. Like, I don't have a debt on the home I live in. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if something happened to me tomorrow, touch wood, um, I'd be good. So That's awesome. Um, so, you've, you've you know, done it. That's the goal. You want to get to a point where you're not too stressed about things. You don't sound too stressed. You sound pretty just So, that's, that's that Townsville's pace I mean, of life. I move to it's... Townsville, guys. If you don't want to be stressed, <laughs> it's chill up here. <laughs> well, not chill. I mean, it's hot. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You can relax. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, that's, that's wicked, man. So, you've, you've walked the path. You've done it. You've... You've invested in multiple markets. You've now you've done the ten properties in ten years. You've set yourself up. You've hit save. So now you can literally live life on your own terms. You can make your own choices yep. now, right? And so yeah, you're yeah. essentially what you're doing in your role. You're doing it, I guess, must be because you enjoy doing it, right? Correct. And I think that's why I'm successful. I mean, um, when someone says to me, "Why did you win the award?" I'm like, "Well, it's you know, I'm doing a few things different from other people, but I think, to be honest, I won it because." I'm just doing something I really enjoy and I'm helping people get to a point I'm at and I don't feel any pressure behind it. I'm not out there making a hard sell and I'm the most honest person you'll probably find in real estate in Townsville. 
and I'm genuine and I've walked the walk. So I'm not telling someone to do something I haven't done myself or I'm not currently doing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, because statistically speaking, less than 1% of property investors get past five properties. Um, and statistically speaking, less than 1% of property investors ever achieve their actual financial goals. But everyone has these goals. They want. Mm. No, I have never met anyone who doesn't want to invest in property who doesn't want to achieve some degree of financial freedom. But well, one or two people, I guess. But but generally speaking, it's the it's the goal. But the problem is most property investors get stuck at one property or two properties. Very few get to three, even less get to four, and only like one percent get to five. And less than one percent ever actually achieve, you know, their version of financial freedom or whatever that may be, even on a even on a thirty year time scale. Mm. Um, so it's awesome that you've kind of walked that path and you've done that. What would you say? What would you say to aspiring property investors who are thinking about that they want to invest, but but like you, you know, early on at the start, where you're like, oh, can't, can't get into the property market; it's unaffordable. How? What would you? What's your advice to aspiring property investors? Look outside a capital city. I wish I'd invested earlier, um, somewhere where it was more affordable. Um, and you know, even now, I've sold everything I have in a capital city. I think there's money to be made in regional areas. Um, so don't be afraid to not live nearby your investment. That was my fear at first. Um, you know, trust the right people to look after it for you. It's really hard to give advice on this because I don't think I took any advice at first. So. Well, what's your investment thesis? Like, like how have you, have you just randomly just bought properties that are randomly cheap and or, or have you had some kind of overarching investment thesis of mm. what you have specifically looked for? Like, how would you personally decide if an investment property is a good one versus a bad one? What's your thesis? Yeah, I guess that's really changed for me over the years. So, you know, 10 years ago, um, well, when I was looking for my first investment property, 2015, um, I was just looking for something that was cheap, something I could afford. Yeah. And um, I didn't even, honestly, I didn't get a rental appraisal on the thing before I bought it, which was a stupid idea. Um, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so I just bought this townhouse and I thought, you know, wowee, what a good price, under $200,000. I've still got the townhouse today because it's probably one of the few that I can't afford to get rid of um, unless I was going to take a hit, to be honest. So here I am, I've still got this townhouse. It's getting fantastic rents now, but it was a real pain in my butt for the last five years, to be honest. Mm. Um, so I made a big mistake on that one. Um, so I did a reno to that as well. Um, and that was where I really cut my teeth on that because I do a lot of the work myself. I mean, I, I don't do an aircon install and I um, try not to do too much of the electrical, but uh, everything else I do myself and I learned on Google or through trial. So a lot of the trial was on this townhouse I spent way too much on, didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I've had to redo stuff in the meantime as well on it. So, you know, we've had um, two bathrooms um, rather than one mm -hmm. uh, in the same bathroom. Uh, you know, I've had to relay the floors because, you know, who knew that if you put a floating floor in a property, um, rising damp would be a problem uh, and that you would always have to replace floating floors. Um, so go with vinyl, everyone. Um, Hang on a but, second. Is that just is that just a tip for the tropics, though? Like, surely that's um, not a carte blanche rule for everywhere. It's everywhere that's going to have water sit. I mean, it came up through a concrete slab um, and into the into the floor, and that can happen absolutely anywhere, to be honest. So, if you're anywhere that holds water um, or has been through a flood, and you know this particular property didn't flood, but there was water around, mm. um, that concrete slab held water, and two years later, 
all these boards were completely trashed um, and no insurance because it was so far past the event. So um, little things like that, like floating floors, terrible, especially in an, um, an investment property because you cannot clean them with a mop and bucket. You're not supposed to put water on them. Try telling a tenant not to use a mop and bucket on a floor when you're not there. Yeah. So, you know, these sorts of things, um, you learn as you go. So I made a lot of mistakes on that property. Uh, the next one, you know, I probably bought, uh, I bought two in the same complex. Um, I was not that unit. So you that. bought them in a complex. So you Correct. bought, so you bought two apartments in the same complex. Yep. Talking talk about concentration risk. I know two out of four. I mean, I thought, um, you know, well, I'm going to have the majority vote on, um, on the committee. Um, so I'll be able to fix this and, you know, it's going to look fantastic. Yes and no. I mean, <laughs> you can um, you can only get so far with Strata managers. They're a little difficult. I probably won't ever buy anything with Strata again, mm. um, but that's just me. Um, you know, so the first few were hits and misses. You know, I've probably sold most of what I bought in the first couple of years. Um, I did small renos on them. Really, really learned what was valuable to replace and what was um, of more value to keep. Yeah, that's ones. interesting. I want to dig into that. Can I just ask quickly, how many properties in total have you, you know, bought? So including the ones you hold and well, including all the um, ones you've sold, including all of that, how many properties have you personally, you know, touched in that sense? I actually don't know the number, but it would be close to 25 to 30, somewhere in that range. Hectic. Oh, that's pretty good going. That's yeah. some pretty active I mean, investing. So, okay, so you said that you've kind of worked out what you should and shouldn't add, do to add value into a property, like what is a waste of time and money, and what is what are they? What are what are some tips you got for people? Yep. Okay. An ugly lino floor. It doesn't matter if it's in good condition. Leave it. Um, you can make a floor look decent by painting or changing the handles on the kitchen cupboards. Um, you know, rip the backsplash off if you know if you've got a, a an ugly laminate kitchen. Um, countertop and that also carries up the back just rip that back piece off and just put a few tiles there and i mean if you can do it yourself tiling is the cheapest thing in the world um but it's also not that expensive to pay someone just to tile a backsplash and if you've got less of something ugly but you can still keep the bit that costs you the most which is um the countertop because you know most of the time you cannot do that yourself um then you know you've made a good decision. You've modernized it, but you haven't spent money on the things that you didn't need to spend money on. Um, I've shellacked and painted kitchen cupboards um, if they're really worn. Um, I will change the handles, but I will not rip a kitchen out anymore unless that kitchen is beyond repair. Um, would you Would you reconsider buying a property then? Like if you were like looked at a property and you were like, oh man, this is a good property, but I'm going to have to replace the whole kitchen. Would that be a deal breaker for you or... No, no, probably not. I mean, I've done probably 18 kitchens, um, replaced, um, you know, the whole kitchen probably 18 times. But, um, you know, it's expensive. So, you know, but there's a difference between a kitchen in your own home and a kitchen in a rental too. So, you know, don't be picking any two-pack kitchen and, you know, something in my house that might cost me 20 grand, um, I wouldn't ever put that in a rental property. I'd choose like the $8,000 option. Um so you know, Why? I've done a lot of bunnies. Kitchens. I'm interested. I'm interested in that because, like, surely, is it just because I'm going to say, is it just because you're cheap and you're like, nah, I'm just going to put cheap shit in there, or is it because 
like is it because ostensibly there's you know more wear and more damage or do you, there's an argument to say that if it's a nicer place to live mm. i.e kind of more like your own home in a sense that it might attract better tenants now there's a depending on that where it yeah. is that's going to have it so you might attract better tenants better quality tenants who might stay longer who are going to be more house proud so there's yeah. an argument to say that if you go cheap and nasty you're going to get cheap and nasty tenants who are probably not going to respect the place they're in as much as if you actually put some effort in so do you think that there could be a like a an a, a, a like a, a distribution curve where if you go too mm. cheap it can be bad too expensive you overcapitalize but Somewhere where you're sort of above the eight thousand, but not as high as the twenty thousand, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're buying a property where you need a twenty thousand dollar kitchen, it shouldn't be a rental. Um, that's something that you should be living in, or you're doing it to sell, or you know, maybe it's a short term rental, but your goal is to sell it down the track, and that's why you're spending this money. Um, because, like, f- from spending the twenty thousand dollars on the kitchen that I'm currently looking at in front of me. Um, you know, the difference is that it's two pack and it's got a shaker cabinet, but um, $20,000 for the the kitchen, um, whereas, you know, the kitchen downstairs in my unit is just a flat white kitchen. They look identical until you get up close. Um, and the difference is honestly like $12,000. I don't think that a tenant is going to say, hey, um, you know, I can see that you've spent less on this kitchen. It's still brand new. Um you just don't need to pick the finishes that you'd put in your own home. Um, and enough. I think that's what people, you know, when they're doing a reno, they get a little bit excited, like, oh, look at that light fitting. That's that's pretty, okay, yeah, but, um, you know, that's a $400 light. Let's get a, a $80 light to hang in the entryway and let's call it a day. You know, the tenants that are coming here aren't looking at this as their forever home either. So mm. um, they don't need that, that level of design that you, that you would put in your own home. So yeah. I see a lot of people make those decisions and, you know, we get lists when someone buys a property, they'll send us, you know, two page lists of all the things they want us to go and get quotes for. Um, and it'll be like stone countertops and, you know, rip out all the box air cons and put a uh, um, split system air con in, and, you know, that one I'll give them is usually correct. Tenants hate box air cons up here, but if you've got five bedrooms and you've got a box in two of them, you know, you're not too bothered about that. Yeah. Um, but there's, yeah. there's only so far you should go. So we will really meticulously go through these lists and give them some advice on what they should and shouldn't do. Yeah, it's interesting because broadly speaking, you know, I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make when they they could be living, well, we're living wherever they were living and living at the, at the standard of living that they enjoy living in a house that they like or, or even a house they're renting that they like or whatever. And then they think about their investment property and they're buying in a different town and it's for different people and there's different, there's different, there's a different culture, there's a different environment, there's different yep. um, so, psycho, um, um, psych, psychographics, uh, different demographics, different socioeconomics, all of these kind of things. And then they look at a, an investment property that they're potentially going to buy and they go not sure if i'd want to live there and it's like well you're not gonna like this, are you planning on moving there like are you planning yeah. on moving there you're not going to live there like the question is not yeah. do you want to live there the question is is this appropriate for the market will Correct. the market want this product because yeah. at the end of the day every property investor is a business owner you're in the business of selling accommodation solutions right so really all you need to do is think about do you have product market fit like do you have do you have a product that the market wants at the price that you want to sell it and if yeah. so you have product market fit fantastic off you go and just you know live your own life and let them live theirs 
Yeah, yeah. You make a really good point. I mean, someone from Melbourne who buys an investment property in Townsville always says to us, oh, rip that lino out of the, the bedrooms and put some, you know, plush carpet in. Cool, but it's also hot here all year. We don't have winter and no Bloody one hell. wants carpet. No one everything wants goes, carpet. Everything goes moldy up your way. Everything yeah, mold goes moldy. is a real thing. <laughs> everything, everything goes, particularly in the wet season up north, everything goes moldy. It doesn't even everything. matter what you do. Everything goes moldy. You don't want any bloody, you don't want hairy floors. <laughs> you don't want hairy floors. <laughs> I know, but, but they look at what would suit them or what's in their properties or what's in their rentals somewhere else. Um, and you really, you've made a good point. It needs to be what's desirable for this particular market. You really need to speak to someone who's on the ground and living it and renting these properties that can say, you know, this is what a tenant would want here. Um, or this will do to get a tenant in here. Just do this one thing because you could do both those things. You'll still get the same rent. So let's just do one of them. Mm. Um, it's all about knowing where to spend your money because, you know, that extra $12,000 you might have spent, that's part of your deposit for your next investment property to get to your, to your 10. Yeah, totally. Well, Scott, I've got one last little angle I want to take with you. Like you've, okay, so you've built the property portfolio, you've done it, you've bought, bought and sold 25, 30 properties. You've got a 10 property portfolio now. You're only working because you love what you're doing. Fantastic. You're living in the place that you love. You've sort of kind of, you've arrived at a place, a version of success, right? Mm -hmm. But what, but you're also quite young still. Uh, what is like? What's the goal for you? Like, where are you going? What is like? What are you aiming for? Where, where's like? Uh, what's the yeah? What's the goal? <laughs> uh, I don't know. My goals have really changed. So um, my goal this year is actually to have a child, and I'll probably work less. So this will be the first time in my life I'll start to wind down a little bit for a little bit of time. Um, but I've kind of shifted to um, a lot of training as well. I like to share my um, advice and expertise with people. So um, you know. Training is somewhere where I'm sort of heading as well. Um, who knows? Um, I'm not looking too far ahead right now. I'm pretty happy. Interesting. Interesting. Content. Now, that's awesome. Scott, mate, I really enjoyed the chat. We've covered a lot of ground. I didn't know where we were going to go. I think it's <laughs> just, we've covered a lot of ground uh, and I've really enjoyed it. Is there anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, not at all. I think we covered everything and that was a good chat. Cheers. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time, Scott. Good to see you again and, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. Take care. Thanks. 